Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lean Enterprise Institute's podcast, WLAI. On today's show, we'll be recorded in front of 700 people at the Lean Transformation Summit. Today, Jim Womack will be sitting down with author of The Lean Farm, Ben Hartman, general manager of uh, Venda Industries, Joel Daly, and aluminum trailer CEO and owner, Steve Brenneman. Take it away, Jim. Okay, we're here at the end, not quite the end, but almost the end of this Lean Summit. I've been doing these practically forever, actually since 1992. And my intent, uh, getting started a long time ago, was very explicit. I wanted to share some ideas that I thought were really useful. I wanted to bring people together who were embracing those ideas to create a community, a lean community, a community of sharing, and of obligation to share. I've always felt that anybody who comes here and learns something sort of has an obligation to share it. So these many years later, that's the way I still feel. So we're going to talk a little bit uh, with uh, some folks who've been doing some uh, real pioneering lean practice in one case and who have been remarkably committed to sharing. So uh, thanks for coming, guys. Uh, we could as easily be having this conversation, or maybe more easily, in northeast Indiana. These folks are from Goshen, Indiana. Anybody been to Goshen? Land of Goshen? From Napanee? Anybody from Napanee? New Paris? Wow. Now, I have to say New Paris. Does, I've been there. It does not look at all like Paris, but I, <laughs> I thought that was a little misleading. Uh, that, but um, anyway, uh, that is a community that is a Mennonite Amish community. So there is an advantage they've got. Those are two traditions that are committed to sharing, barn raising, all that. And so they're now into a new dimension of that. So uh, what I wanted to do is talk a little bit about how you learned a different way to think, a different way to do, and how you shared it. So let me start with Steve. Uh, the aluminum trailer uh, company is uh, a part of the great big RV industry in northeast Indiana, where the big RVs and lots of other kind of trailer and moving equipment are built. So there is sort of a community of people who do yeah, that. Definitely. But uh, you didn't have to learn anything about this lean stuff. So what happened? Well, I started the company in 1999, uh, HEC or aluminum trailer company. Um, I was doing purchasing for a cargo trailer company and had a couple guys approach me uh, who were vendors of mine when I was doing the buying and they knew I was frustrated where I was working and said, hey, we'd be interested in backing you in something. I was not long out of college. I thought, well, great, um, I'll give that a shot. So I decided to start an aluminum trailer company. So most trailers in the cargo and motorsports industries are steel frame. I decided to make a higher quality product out of aluminum frame. Um, so I did that and grew that business pretty quickly. Uh, while I was doing that, uh, while I was getting that going, I actually bought a small door company from an Amish guy in Napanee and realized the benefits of the workforce there. Um, I have Amish and Mennonite background, so I knew that uh, culture well. And um, so I sort of somehow bought the door business from the Amish guy and took my trailer business and moved him into a facility. We shared that facility. 
for about uh, six years, grew that business till the downturn of 2008. I lost the, the door business that I was running in the downturn of 2008. And the way I describe it um, is that we had a great thing going. We had fantastic culture. We had a great product. Our customers loved us. And we were growing and profitable. We were doing all these great things, but we paid no attention to the process. It was just kind of throw it out there, get it out, and then we'll live to see another day. That worked well as business was going like this. As soon as the downturn hit, I lost that company. Uh, took about a month off, took my family out west on a little motorhome trip, put everything on the credit card, and found Jim's book as I was selling off the assets of that business, um, selling off the assets for the bank, I found Jim's book, Lean Thinking, and it grabbed me, and I realized, wow, this is the answers to some of the things we were struggling with, and saying goodbye to 280 employees, losing a $40 million business, I knew that I now had the answer, and I never wanted to go through that again. So that's how I found Lean. Came back from that vacation after listening to the audio version, uh, read by Jim Womack, which I thoroughly enjoy. Um, listened to that about five times, came back, and uh, I had lean glasses on now. So I walked into my trailer business and became an absolute lean fanatic. Well, first off, I can't stand to listen to that audio version. Let me <laughs> just say that. It's fantastic. Uh, but it is, it is gratifying to hear that the big asset of your business was my book. That's, it is. Uh, that that's, uh, makes me feel good. But wait a minute. Uh, you needed some help. You can't, you can't do anything with the book, folks. I mean, you've got to do experiments. You've probably got to talk to somebody else who knows something. I would think at that time there probably weren't any people around, Napanee, who knew anything about this. So how did you, how did you figure out what to do? You probably got some help. Yeah, you know, we at my door company, we were dabbling with lean on the factory floor, you know, kind of doing what most companies, most manufacturers are doing today. You know, that's something for the factory floor. As a CEO, I don't need to know anything about it. You know, go out, save us some cost. I'm supportive. You know, I'm engaged. Um, but let's fix those idiots out there, and maybe we can start making some real money. Um, nothing's broken in here. They just need to, you know do better out there. So we were kind of, and it wasn't that explicit, but we were kind of doing that uh, until I lost that business. So as I was losing that business, I realized we had to make a change. So I came back to um, Aluminum Trailer Company and found a few folks that had, we had started experimenting together. And uh, we, we had, um, we, we had gone from about 26 million in sales in 2006 at the trailer company we were down to 10 million in sales in 2009. So we had a captive audience. We Folks couldn't just walk out and find a job anywhere. So that allowed us to experiment on them. And that wasn't necessarily all that positive, um, but it did allow us to read and then go out and experiment, and then read and experiment. We found a couple of guys that helped us from the wire mold days, uh, Frank Genitazio and Ed Miller helped us in the beginning days, get our feet under us, do a couple Kaizen events, and then uh, a couple years later, we had Gene Cunningham come in and do our Kaizen events for us. So they really helped us get going. 
Um, we didn't have any money to spend That's on That's consultants, good. but we did it anyway. We borrowed it. I actually paid for the first event out of my own pocket so um, because I didn't want to um, have the company feel like I was wasting their money. So I, I paid for the first one on my own. Well, I've been to see you. I can uh, verify that uh, they've been doing great stuff, and they're really working hard on the office. Uh, this movement uh, was kind of late to the office, and they've been working hard. So he's now got something. You've now got something, Steve, to share. Mm -hmm. So you shared it with Ben. Could you tell us how that happened? And more interesting question is, why would you do this? <laughs> yeah. Well, I said I was a fanatic um, to the point that, that I do lean at home. Um, I, have, uh, I was frustrated at my kids who were in junior high and high school at the time when I really became a fanatic. So we bought Fiesta wear, which is different colors, and we assigned a color to each child in our home, uh, including my wife and I, so that when there was a dirty dish that was all crusted and dried, we knew whose it was. Or if they left it in the movie room downstairs before dinner began, they had to go get it because we only had one plate per person. Um, <laughs> And so we ended up getting all the silverware, all the cups, all the plates, um, the whole um, set, and so that it was easy to tell. And what ended up happening was, uh, there, there is a good end to the story, I promise you. What ended up happening is it's just easier if you get up from the table and you go and wash it and put it away. It's actually easier to do that for them. So that's ended, that ended up being what happened. It created this habit. So that's the kind of fanatic I am. So I went around proselytizing about lean. I talked to everyone that would listen. I mean everyone. And didn't get very far with many people. But um, Ben was our farmer. We're foodies and we're very into the local food scene. And we had, we'd been buying a CSA from Ben and his, his farm at our local farmer's market. I got to know him there and just thought, hey, you might get some benefit out of this. Um, this is something we're doing. Come down, see the factory. And I wonder if you couldn't uh, do some of that in your farm. Now, by the way, there's, there's nothing in this for you. You were not getting free carrots in return for I did get a I did, did get a free box of, of vegetables. That, I did not uh, know about that. On two well. out of the three visits, so yes. It, it wasn't completely free. Yeah. That's, wow. that's how generous I, I am. Okay, so Ben, uh, what happened? Now, by the way, ben, Ben's a farmer. And uh, those of you who came to the two breakouts, uh, we do have a video of that, do we not? That uh, people can get somehow. Anyway, he went through the whole thing of what a lean farm is. And it's a good thing. But how'd you get there? Yeah. Um, I, think, I think one of the first I think that's worth mentioning is that all of us, the three of us up here have a Mennonite heritage. And so we have this incredible, incredible DNA within us that tells us not to waste anything. And so we have this amazing predisposition to waste free thinking. And so I think lean kind of fits into, the, into that predisposition. And, and I had grown up on a 500-acre corn and soybean farm, very conventional mass production farm. And during my sessions, uh, I tried to make the case that U.S. agriculture is still stuck in a rut of mass production. Uh, most industries have had to lean up to some, you know, by some measure at this point. And agriculture still relies on a $5 billion you know, farm package uh, to keep its head above the water. And anyhow, so I'd grown up on that size of farm, 
And Purdue University, when I was growing up, went around telling us you have to have 1,000 acres or more to make a living. And at this point, they're telling us you have to have 2,000 acres or more to make a living. You have to get bigger every year to make a living as a farmer. This means buying bigger tractors, more accounts, uh, growing more food, purchasing more land. And so constant expansion, that was the metric of success. There were no other metrics. It was just constant expansion. And that's how I started farming. Uh, we'd start, we, my wife and I had purchased a, five, uh, a small five-acre Amish dairy farm, and we converted it into a small-scale vegetable production farm. And we found a few customers. Steve was one of our early guinea pigs. And we were growing as quickly as possible, uh, to the point uh, where we needed some extra help. And one of the things we used to do on an annual basis is we would have a pizza and weed party. And my wife Kelly chose the name. Uh, the weed part would attract college students uh, to come out and weed our farm. <laughs> and then we'd give them pizza afterwards, and it was a huge disappointment. Anyhow, uh, the one year that we were to have the, the pizza and weed, uh, event. Uh, about 30 minutes before the, college, the van rolled up with college kids, we saw a greenhouse on the roof, our barn. And we realized something had gone terribly wrong here. There was a gale force wind and it plucked that greenhouse out of the ground and threw it on the roof. And, we had, and, and, and Steve, had just visited, Steve had visited us around that time. And so we thought we should ask the five boys here, why did that darn greenhouse end up on the roof? Well, it was under-engineered. I mean, I was one who engineered, and I'm a, you know, I was an English and philosophy major. I had no business designing greenhouses. And, and so what's the reason? Why, let's go another level deeper. Why was it under-engineered? Well, because we didn't have time to engineer it properly. And why didn't we have time to engineer it properly? So on and on, until we realized the root was that we were just trying to grow our farm as quickly as possible. Because that was the metric of success where I grew up, and it just wasn't working. And so Steve came, and at the time, we needed capacity. And I'm not saying it's wrong to grow a business. And I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with larger farms than ours. We make our living on less than an acre. Um, how, however, I think addiction, I'm sorry, I think expansion becomes an addiction. And we had, we had succumbed to that addiction. And it was starting to sink our business. So Steve I came and said, you might be able to add capacity with process. And that was an attractive concept. So you, you uh, got it. There's a great story there. If you uh, want something to read at the end of the day, after you've listened to all the bad news of the day, get The Lean Farm. It's a lovely book just to hold in your hands. Not an LEI book. It's not an ad for LEI. It's a, it's a lovely book, The Lean Farm, and it will make you think maybe there's hope for civilization. Here's this guy who took these ideas from some from Japan in the farming sector in Japan, some from Toyota in Japan, and said, okay, now I'm going to apply these to farming. And what he's wound up with, which I've gone to see twice now, is less than an acre to support his family very well while working 35 hours a week so he can write books uh, the rest of the time. Uh, it's kind of a miracle. And by the way, he won't uh, sell to anybody more than, what, 10 miles away? Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's local, local by design. This is a... Um, a matter of principle. He'll only sell to people 10 miles away. Okay, so you had the gift. You gave it to Ben. I ben. gave it to a lot of people. He was the only one that really listened. That's okay. That's, uh, no, 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 yeah, wait a minute. No, 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 wait a minute. Hey, 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 hey. You, 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 don't, you don't know the trouble I've seen. <laughs> uh, 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 
this, this is a very low conversion rate activity. Right? So you had the gift. You gave it to Ben. Ben did some thinking. This guy thinks. I mean, this, uh, that, that's unusual, too. And so he did some thinking and figured out how to make it work. Well, now, wait a minute. You still got the gift, right? You gave it away. But you still got the gift. And so then Dan over here, what, what, what happened to him? Uh, Joel. Oh, Joel. Joel, oh, sorry. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, uh, Steve and, and Ben and I grew up, I, well, we knew a lot of the same people. Um, I went to school with Steve's sister-in-law. Uh, ben, I, I tried an experiment to try to grow goji berries at my house and a couple years ago, and my, my sister-in-law told me to call Ben. I took him out to Ben's greenhouse. They were going great until uh, they got aphids. I brought them home, and they subsequently died. <laughs> but um, I, I was in kind of a pickle, and uh, at our factory, Viata, you know, we manufacture goat seeding um, and still am from time to time. But uh, I heard Steve talk, and and I went up to him afterwards, and I, I, I introduced myself. And um, there was a few expletives, I think, if I the, remember the, right. The, you you were in trouble. Recorded. I was going to try to do this in a, in a nice way. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 you know, we we are men and I guys, but we're also practical men and I guys. So I, I went straight for the. Don't uh, tell anyone. Yeah, yeah, right. I think it's the secrets out. I went straight for the, uh, for the real language, uh, with how how impressed I was with Steve, and. Um, he seemed to respond to that, so he gave me his card. And, and uh, the next thing you know, he, he invited me out to ATC, and I think he emailed me uh, a reading list with, with a bunch of books on it. And I, at the time, I, you know, I realized this guy's probably testing me. Um, this is clearly a test. So fortunately, uh, I, I read the books two to three or four times before I ever even called I, I was impressed, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I did, and I, you know, and I, I, I mean, I was desperate. We, you know, we 550 people at our factory, uh, constantly shipping late. The customers were always upset, getting, you know, dragged over the coals every single day. It gets a bit old, and uh, and so here's this guy that was that was offering another way, and um, he was crazy enough to be passionate about it, and. Uh, and I liked him, too. So I, I went out to his place, and he walked me around. And from there, it's just kind of blossomed. I mean, I, you know, I got, uh, I got a call one day that uh, you know, Brenneman wanted to, to meet downtown for coffee, and, and he was working on some initiatives. And uh, he asked if he could, he could mentor me. And it was it's the craziest thing in the world, you know. I called my wife and I was like, "Can you believe this guy actually wanted to? This guy wants to mentor me." So, um, I mean, there's people that would pay quite a bit of money for that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, privilege. So, uh, we began a, a, a great start, and Steve introduced me to Gene Cunningham, and uh, Gene has her help at our company has just been phenomenal as well. So, um, without those things, I mean. We're not where we are today. But, uh, Jim, by the way, you're such an easy guy to listen to. No. You know, it's, it's tough to answer a question from Jim Womack. I mean, I <laughs> think you're a guy that's so easy to listen to that I'm wondering if you could call my home every night about 9 o'clock and ask my 8-year-old to go to bed. <laughs> well, I mean, it didn't, didn't work on my 8-year-olds. <laughs> okay, that's, that's a long time ago. Well, I sure enjoy it. Now, you, Joel, have got a gift. 
You got a gift from Steve. Mm -hmm. He's got a gift. Ben wrote a book, mm -hmm. and you've done a lot of talking all across the country, mm -hmm. people. So now, do you have an obligation to pass this on? I believe so. Uh, I think I, I'm trying to give you that. Yeah, I, I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, 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 like I said, if Jim Womack says to do it, I believe I do. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, we, we were talking here about, uh, about lean, and, and when you come to a conference like this, there's lots of big ideas and, and lots of uh, big words. And, you know, we, Steve and I first started talking about this about two years ago. Um, since then, I, you know, we've had two Kaizen events at Viata with Gene, and I, I, I still don't think that we've even really begun our, our lean journey. Um, it's still so so early in the game, um, but absolutely, you know, we're giving to our employees all the time, right? And one event we fundamentally changed the lives of employees in one department. The first the first event we ever had, and we're we're not even good at this, man. <laughs> we suck at it. I, I've been there, yeah. <laughs> we suck at it. But I can tell you this year, we're we're we've got fifty percent of raw material inventory that we had from last year. And, and our sales are up almost 30%. Yep. That's, that's where we're at with the same amount of people yep. this year. Yep. And, and we suck at this. Yeah. So if, can you imagine if we got good at it? Uh, I think I need to raise my rates. <laughs> <laughs> so so do, do I feel that uh, I don't feel qualified? Okay, to, well, you'll get there. You'll, to, I, we'll get not, there. I didn't say you had to do it right now. The theme here is that all of you are either in possession of a gift or you are getting a gift of how to do things in a fundamentally better way. And I talked uh, yesterday morning about the obligation of employers, I do believe, to upskill and improve the lives of their workers. And I think there's also an obligation of workers to uh, pay that back to employers. But this is different, this is about community. They're from a community, the Mennonite Amish community, that has a tradition of sharing. Uh, we've tried to create a lean community that has a tradition of sharing. Uh, one of the sharings we have done this year is with Lynn Community Health. Uh, we're doing that pro bono. We went and saw their situation with these very distressed uh, communities and said, we've got a gift. We could share this. And so, and Alice uh, Lee has led the way, we've been doing that. So I'm hoping that all of you are thinking a little bit about, uh, well, the situation of this country and the fact that uh, there's a lot of misery out there, mm. that many of you have got a gift that you could share. Mm. And these folks are providing an example of people who do share. So think about that as you go home. Uh, you've got more to give than you may realize. I think you have a bigger obligation than you might realize. And uh, let us know uh, how it goes. Uh, I wonder, Ben, if you could talk uh, just a minute. Uh, you have written this wonderful book, and there is a second book for the real serious vegetable grower, and you can get that one, too, from uh, Chelsea Green or Amazon. Uh, but you've been out talking. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just, I've been so impressed with this that on less than an acre, on less than an acre, he is making a good living for his family with a 35-hour week if what if we had 20,000 of these farms in this country, or 10,000? How do we spread uh, beyond this? What, what do you think is possible? What do you think we ought to do? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a tough question. It's going to take me about 10 minutes to think that one over. Okay, I'll shorten it to 10 seconds. 
so we're in the last generation, and I, grew, I say this having grown up on a corn farm, so I'm not trying to not corn farm, but I still work on that corn farm as dad still runs it. Last generation, we went from producing uh, 5 billion bushels of corn as a nation to more than 15 bushels. Now, our population didn't, also, didn't grow at that same pace. And so what the heck are we doing growing so much darn corn? And what the heck are we going to do with it? And the answer is that we've simply pushed corn to the point where there are now Frito-Lays Frito, Frito on every street corner of America. And we're getting sick. It's simply making us sick. We have 40% obesity rate in this country. Uh, and diabetes is, a, is, is the health epidemic of our time. And something has to change. Uh, we don't have a food system that is working for, for all of us. We have a food system that works uh, perfectly well perfectly well for some super wealthy people who produce most of the food that we consume, and a few, a few you know, very large corpora uh, uh, food corporations. However, most of us, we're not benefiting from our food system. And so I'm pa my passion is to decentralize the food system and to teach small farmers how to grow food that their communities actually need. Uh, let's go to our customers, ask them, what do, you, what do you want? When do you want it? How much? And let's start with a customer and produce for our communities. And growing up, we ne I never knew who, who was eating our corn. I never had a face uh, behind the consumer. And there's something wrong with that disconnect. And I guess to throw a number, I'd say 500,000. Hmm. I'd like to see 10% of this, if we were at 10% of the nation was in, involved in agriculture for a living, I'd be happy. And we used to, it wasn't that long ago that 90% of the country was engaged in agriculture for a living. You know, just about all of us. And at this point, less than 2% now make their living you know, from farming. And so even if you're not engaged in agriculture, ask what kind of countryside, when you, leave, when you drive out of the town, when you drive out of Nashville, what kind of countryside do you want? Uh, what kind of food do you want? And make your voice known. And there's a lot of policy changes that need to happen. Um, and, on the, and there's a lot of lean thinking, a lot of lean teaching that needs to happen. Well, we hope uh, we will find a way to help with that. I had never, ever thought I would have anything to do with agriculture, that uh, I went on some big farms. When I first started this, I had some people call up and ask, and honestly, I couldn't think of anything I could do, uh, that uh, it just seemed like it was uh, what could be done. It was just perfect mass production, perfect mass production, sort of the end of history. And uh, then Ben called up and said, I've been doing some thinking. Uh, here you can do this and totally change the way the whole food system works uh, through applying some ideas that, by the way, were pioneered in Japan uh, 200 years ago of how to get high yields off of small plots. And uh, now we've uh, tried to do that around here. So uh, I think we're um, at a point uh, where we can uh, begin to wrap up. Uh, we've got Slido running, but uh, Slido has not been active. I have the feeling that most of you are just trying to take this in, and that's a good thing. So I want to thank uh, our folks for doing this. Uh, you guys have put a spring in my step. Uh, you gave me an excuse for driving a Ford F-150 and a Dodge Ram Charger, which I hadn't driven in 50 years. I thought to go to a farm, you've got to go get a full-sized American pickup truck running on ethanol. And uh, <laughs> so... While well, I'm driving down the road uh, spewing uh, carbon dioxide produced by ethanol uh, out, I'm thinking there must be a better way, and I got to Ben's farm, and I found it, and that's a good thing. So I hope you will all 
uh, while you're heading back, uh, we're not quite through yet, but while you're heading back, uh, we'll think about what gifts you've got, uh, what obligation you have to share them with your employees, what obligation you have to share them with the broader community. By the way, enormous number of nonprofit NGO type organizations out there, I work with some of them. Uh, most of you, if you stick with this, are going to know enough that you could help an NGO be a lot better than they are. Those are people with wonderful intentions and typically very poor processes. Very poor. And so you can convert Muda into real value for people who need it, maybe more than you do. So think about that. Think about what you can do and think about how we can share even more in our lean community. So thank you and we'll end this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.